Welcome to the Swine Health Black Belt Podcast, the latest swine health research digested for you. Swine Health Black Belt Podcast is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like SCA Ventilation and Management Solutions, made for farmers by farmers since 1966. Beringer Ingelheim, through innovative solutions, cutting-edge research, and world-class experts, Beringer Ingelheim helps producers operate with complete confidence. Learn more at swineresource.com. My name is Dr. Clayton Johnson, and I'm your host for today's episode. Joining me on today's episode is Dr. Fabio Venucci, Associate Professor at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Venucci, thanks for joining us. Would you like to give an introduction to the audience? Thank you, Clayton, for the introduction. And yeah, I am Fabio Venucci. I'm a faculty member of the University of Minnesota since 2015 here at the Diagnostic Lab. And I'm happy to talk to you, Dr. Clayton, and share some of the experience that we have been doing here with PCV3. Excellent. Well, let's start with kind of hitting the main points of PCV3, Fabio. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the viral agent involved and then the associated disease syndrome that can be seen in pig populations? Sure. So let's start in what we, we know, which is the PCV2. So it's a virus that are different from the PCV2, but it belongs to the same family, if you will. So trying to make the same analogy with PCV2. So you can find PCV3 endemically on the swine uh, population, which means that most of the PCV3 positive PCR does not represent a disease associated necessarily. So I think that's a, a, a good lay, lay down point that we can start discussing the PCV3 uh, associated disease. So if you are thinking more about clinical syndrome, and uh, there's not much in terms of a specificity or not, nothing specific about the PCV3. I mean, kind of the same for the PCV2, right? You can have a variety of clinical syndromes for PCV2, kind of the same for PCV3, general wasting, pause weaning, or uh, finishing, depending on where you go. You can have, depending on the case, sudden death, and, and, and so forth. So there isn't any specific about that. For PCV3, if you're looking for trying to diagnose that, I would say a couple main bullet points for paying attention would be myocarditis or lesions on the heart, right? And if you don't have the heart submitted to the diagnostic lab, you can extrapolate that and looking for a specific term on the pathology report, which will be vasculitis that can be either on the heart or other organs. And interstitial pneumonia is another thing that kind of I'm going to the top to from uh, from the top to the bottom, kind of the most common ones that we see in PCV3 associated disease. So myocarditis, vasculitis, interstitial pneumonia, which is kind of viral pneumonia, and abortions are the other uh, type of syndrome that we see associated with PCV3. Um, is CT values important, right? That's another, another point for PCV2. So not most of the positives are not representing disease, but when I should look at its CT values on the PCR results, and that will depend off on the, of the context that you're looking at. So if you are looking at chaotic clinical case where you have from strep suits to H, uh, 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 HPS, the former HPS, and, uh, and everything else, E. coli and salmonella. So 
perhaps the CT values may not be important. If you're looking at cases that are only uh, a respiratory syndrome or sudden death with a low CT of PCV3, so you look at that different, right, as you interpret the, the PCR. But the basic point is the lesions, right? You, you want to see some of the lesions that are uh, more commonly associated with PCV3. Uh, I'm just kind of going around some of the questions that I think the practitioners might, might, might think about as they, they go about the PCV3 uh, cases. Uh, how frequent is that for an hour shop here? I would say mostly sporadic. We do see uh, in, a, in a scenario of outbreaks here and that, but it's not a massive outbreak that, that I mean, compared with, you know, PERS and others that go, goes about that, it's more like sporadic cases that can solve, you know, by itself sometimes. And there isn't that I, at least that I'm aware of any typical traditional commercial vaccines available. We do see people working with RNA technology to for vaccination uh, of PCV3. Other other than that, I haven't seen anything more specific related with the control. Uh, yeah, so I think those are the main points. And oh, I'm happy to answer any, any questions you may have, uh, Clayton. Fabio, on the diagnostics, um, you mentioned myocarditis as being a lesion that's commonly seen. In, in my experience with PCV2, we see the myocarditis a lot of times in, in neonates, even in, in unborn fetuses or very, very young piglets. Is that similar in PCV3 that that's kind of the population that seems predisposed to the myocarditis or do you see that in pigs of all ages with PCV3? Yeah, good question. No, in PCV3, it's a, it's a bit different. We see in pretty much all ages. I would say mostly nursery pigs. Okay. Wasting nursery and, and let's say first week of nursery or perhaps even the how do you call it? peri or pre-weaning uh, that age? Sometimes we got submissions that these two pigs are from at weaning and those two others are two, one week after weaning. So, mm -hmm. and we see on that age too. So, and then, and when we first actually started seeing that, and that's another lesion that are more close to the PCV3 in terms of looking at pathology of that would be a very, very bad purse. When you got a very bad purse, you might end up with a myocarditis on that. And that sure. how looks like at, at first. And, and that, well, in terms of looking at the lesions and the report, I would say a bad purse would look like more a PCV3 than the classical PCV2 neonatal or, or stillborn type of, type of pigs. Does that make sense? It does, you know, and uh, when you read the histopath reports, a lot of times the, the lesions are general, like you're describing with PERS or PCV3, there can be multiple causative agents. And I know with PCV2, we've historically used immunohistochemistry or IHC to try and identify the pathogen in the lesion, um, you know, just kind of find the criminal at the scene of the crime, so to say. Um, with PCV3, as I understand it, it's more in C2 hybridization. Um, as I understand it, that's the same goal, but a different assay. Could you kind of compare and contrast a little bit IHC versus in situ, C2 hybridization? What's the difference in the tests? Um, should we interpret them any differently? Give us in kind of the layman's terms, why do we use in situ hybridization for PCV3? And then what, what can we do with those results? What do they mean if it's, if it's positive or negative? 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. But before we got there, I, I want to mention something that might be important. One of the classical and typical things that we see that you, we used to see in the report, you guys used to see in the report for PCV2 is lymphoid depletion, right? I think that's mm -hmm. the most term that we have. And the PCV3, you may have that, but it's not necessarily something that are remarkable for PCV3. So I just want to lay that, that down before going to the assay. So I see the immunohistochemistry and the in-situ hybridization, they are, the final goal is the same, which is, you know, the scene of the cream, as you, as you mentioned, I'm identify the antigen within the lesions. And uh, they work differently, right? The, piece, the IHC, you are looking for the protein. You are looking for the protein that a virus produce while they are replicating within the lesions. And you stain the protein with antibodies, okay? And you do that for PCV2, for PERS and others. For the in-situ hybridization, what you, are, what you are doing that is identify a sequence, like a gene that are expressing by the virus. So one is protein, the other one is, the, is a sequence. And so you, you, can, you can think as the, the in-situ hybridization more like a PCR because we're detecting the sequence. The difference from the PCR is that on some of the specific in-situ hybridization, for example, for the PCB3 that we are working on, instead of detecting the DNA that you may wonder, okay, I'm not detecting the virus replicating, I'm just detecting uh, that virus, for example. In the case of the PCR, in the case of the in situ hybridization, because we are targeting specifically mRNA or gene being expressed, so the interpretation would be okay, we are looking at a virus. That's a term that I'm going to throw away right now metabolically active virus, mm -hmm. which basically means virus being active on the lesions. They are, they are active, they're replicating there because they are mm -hmm. producing the gene, right? That's mm -hmm. the that's the, I don't want to go too deep on that, but that's the basics of the thing. So hope, hope I was clear enough. <laughs> yeah, very good. So for, for me as a practitioner, if I see that the in situ hybridization is positive, I can assume that the virus is not only there, but likely live because it's replicating. Like you're saying, it's active within those cells. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very good. So we've talked about um, kind of the clinical signs, the, the diagnostic assays to prove or disprove whether we, we have the disease or not. What do you see right now for prevalence on cases coming into the diagnostic lab? Um, we've been talking about PCV3 for probably five years now. Um, are we seeing the number of cases go up or have we kind of plateaued and hit a bit of a steady state with uh, the percentage of the cases that you guys get that you're saying, oh, PCV3 is a problem for this farm? Yeah, I would say the short answer for that would be the plateau. I think, from my perspective, it would be more of the plateau. So we will, we won't, we won't, you know, be in a in a in a, in a truly emerging and uh, uh, cases coming in uh, increasingly. I would say in the last you know year or so, or even even the five years. But but yeah, but I I always think about the PCV two right history mm -hmm. of that right. I mean, yeah. how how does that you know it was. Suddenly, it was a, a plateau thing, so I, I tried to always trying to compare that, and it was uh, instead in, increasing on the PCV two history. If we, I mean, we had one or one or two years that we had a really boom on that, but so far it doesn't seem as even close that we had in the in the early days of PCV two where we don't have we we didn't have vaccine, right? Yeah, I'm talking about two thousand two probably or somewhere there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's important that we uh, we keep an eye on this pathogen, even if it has plateaued right now, as, as we have learned painful lessons in the swine industry, uh, pathogens can emerge and reemerge and, and change with time. So we may be plateaued today, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow can't be different. Lasonia infection poses a major threat to pig gut health, negatively impacting performance and the ability to fend off other pathogens. Fight Lasonia at the site of infection with Enterosol ileitis from Behringer Ingelheim, a convenient oral vaccine that stimulates a direct immune response. Talk to your Behringer Ingelheim representative to learn more. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Benucci. Um, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast and, and to everybody out there in our audience. Thank you for listening to the Swine Health Black Belt podcast. Please do visit us at swinehealthblackbelt.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss out on the next episode. Thank you very much for joining us and see you next week. Hey, everyone. We're always searching for the latest and greatest research to share each week. If you have a swine health-related research trial and would like to come on the show to talk about it with me and share it with our audience, feel free to send an email to healthblackbelt@swineit.com, and we would love to take a look at your research. Thank you.